Welcome to the OTL podcast. We know that Airdrie fans and Morton fans are proper football fans and would never tolerate something like a half and half scarf. So we're being a bit brave by going for what's effectively a half and half podcast. Uh, I've got one of our regular panellists joining us, Alan Porteous. Alan, nice to see you again. How are you? Oh, I, I, I'm well, Colin. Well, looking forward to the, the Jupiter game in the telly on Tuesday. Uh, since I don't have a ticket. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's all, it's all looking good. Just... Just glad to be here. Just just glad. Everyone's a bonus at the moment, I think. So We've also got a guest. So we've got Dean McKinnon, who heads up the Morton's Just One Carnetto podcast. So Dean, welcome to welcome to our podcast. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and tell us why uh, your podcast has also got a funny name. Um, yeah, thanks for having us on, guys. The I don't know the entire story behind this. It seems to be some myth that one day in the cow shed round about the kind of 70s, 80s when that, that advert was on the on the TV. Apparently the game was a bit pish and somebody was eating a cornetto in the cow shed and it all kind of spiralled from there. Um, I think we've asked if the kind of older generation of fans can fill us in on that. No one seems to know where it came from. But yeah, modern fans have, have sang the Just One Cornetto song ever since and it's always a kind of fan's favourite. So aye, it went from there, but Delighted to be here and talking about Clyde but Airdrie. So sorry, I had to get tell us about your love affair with Morton. How did it start? What era of Morton team are we talking about? You growing up watching? I was born in '93. Went to my first game in 2002. Just kind of the the administration era. I grew up with my papa was my kind of main influence, but he was a Celtic fan that didn't kind of like the, the kind of baggage that went along with the old firm and was quite determined that none of none of his family were really going to were going to follow either the old firm. So get kind of pushed towards Morton between him and my stepdad started going to Capolo and loved it. Obviously I was too young to kind of understand the real ramifications of what was happening at the time with Hugh Scott and the takeover. But yeah, the kind of first season I can remember properly was the, the third division when we won it in 2003 and the last game of the season at Peterhead. I think there was about 12,000 fans in Capolo and there was just this buzz about the place that we'd kind of, we'd rescued the club from this kind of Machiavellian asset stripper and we'd won the third division title and we kind of, we were on the road back and obviously it kind of, crashed and burned the next season, but that that kind of buzz around Capolo of just the big crowds and the enthusiasm and the real the real passion for the club, I think that probably enticed me and never really left. It was I think it's the same as yourselves. Once you're hooked as a kind of young guy, it, it sticks with you and we're all still here telling the tale. Alan Morton, big crowds. My dad always used to go on about uh, when he played Morton or Morton's, Morton's a big club and he, his recollection was probably Alan McGraw bringing a, a, a Morton team to 
try and win the championship on the last day at Broomfield. So I don't remember that, but are you, are you, were you there? Are you old enough to remember kind of Morton in the pomp around that time? Sure, I'm sure it was absolutely there, but I don't remember any of it. Um, my, my memory's getting very, very sketchy about most things now. In fact, I had to, I had to research what my first game was actually. But yeah, so I mean, uh, Dean, my first game. Luckily, I suppose you know, and it probably doesn't get much better than that. My first game to see watching Airdrie was against Celtic in the 1975 Scottish Cup final. 1975, so that's going back a wee bit, isn't it? So I've, I've kind of gone through the kind of highs and lows, the 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 the, the beauty of the the nineties and Alec McDonald and 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 co to the total payback of what has come afterwards. <laughs> you know the, the you know you. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So you know, with it all the, uh, the 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 problems financially, coming back from that, not coming back at the same level as we were, which I think has been a problem for a for a lot of people, including including myself. You know, I get quite edgy and harassed when when the younger folk on our podcast are saying what a brilliant season we've had and what a great game that was, and and you're thinking. What well, we stole a goal in the last minute. We're only kick of the ball, you know. And you know there were better days than that. You know we, we should be aspiring to more. But um, so, I it's uh, I, I Morton would have been a, a, a big club with well, not not seen a big club. You know under normal circumstances there'd be a few thousand at the games. But you knew if it was a big game, if it was at Scottish Cup or. Whatever, then there would, it would be kind of the same as us. You're suddenly getting four or five times the number of uh, t- number of people that would, that would turn up normally. St Mirren were kind of the same. I know you'll not be impressed at hearing that, but St Mirren were another one that, you know, you, I remember playing St Mirren in the Scottish Cup when Frank McAvaney was playing with them and whatever. And there was, they, they, they filled three quarters of Broomfield, you know, just like the old firm would do. Yeah. Um, and it was just this kind of hotbed of, of fans from the outlying areas of, of Glasgow that, that that had thankfully and and dutifully avoided the old firm, um, and they all tended to band together for these big games and come out. I, I de- definitely, and there was that kind of group of four or five teams that were all kind of at the same level, and there was always a wee bit of argy bargy, and you know you were you knew it was a game. It wasn't like playing Forfar or Montrose or something. If you had to play Morton, Partick Thistle, Dunfermline, Falkirk, you know. If all the teams were all at the same level, and and every one of them had a couple of twisty players as well that really got under your skin, we'll probably talk about that later. And you must have a few of Airdrie's players that just thought, oh, do you know what? Really, you know, they, they, they'd really annoyed the hell out of you. So, and they always played for these teams. It was always there was always guys playing for Falkirk, playing for Dunfermline, playing for Morton, whatever. Andy Millen, look at yourself. Yeah, you know, uh, Tommy Turner, look at yourself. <laughs> well, he did. He did sigh our, our great hope for this season, Alan. So we well, need to, absolutely. Need to, need to reassess him. Uh, and Andy Mullins, our number two now. So, oh, well, he. Uh, <laughs> when St. St. Mirren won what would have been the first division. He was playing fullback on the main stand side of Airdrie, and St. Mirren scored to go one 0 up. And there hadn't been, you know, what our new places like Alan. There's not really any atmosphere and I hadn't heard any shouts towards him. They scored and he suddenly dived on the ground and started like imitating that he was doing the breaststroke and then turned to the fans and was giving them a full 
get it right up you, which I, I still don't know where it came from. No, uh, I know. obviously got some 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 issues, so it's good to know that he's there in case we do pull off a, a result this week. But Dean, you so if you started about that generation, you, you've missed the kind of golden age of of Airdrie that that I grew up with. Um, but what's so off the ball style? What does Airdrie mean to you? Airdrie was always, I think, obviously my first memories of Airdrie was the oh three oh four season, which was obviously horrific from our point of view. And yeah, it was it was one of those. It was you get some right good atmospheres against Airdrie, but there was also that kind of venomous element when you played Airdrie. The Morton fans wanted it that wee bit more. The Airdrie fans wanted it that wee bit more. And I think because we were obviously down the divisions away from St Mirren, you kind of became the main rival. So there was always... I I still remember when I was younger, when the fixtures came out, Airdrie was the first game you looked for, depending who was in your division. That was... It, it did. It became this kind of real burning rivalry. And obviously there's been a few results... There's been a few results down the years, obviously. I remember beating you guys 6-1. And I think it was brilliant from our point of view because we were 6 nothing up and you guys scored and obviously we celebrated it as if we'd won the World Cup just for brilliant effect. And then obviously we that was <laughs> giving right back to us at the end of that year. So, yeah, there was always just... Even now, there is just still that, oh, I, I, I fancy a wee... See, whenever even like, the inoc- if it's the League Cup or the Challenge Cup or something, there is always that wee, oh, I, give us Airdrie. That's, there's still just that wee appeal and that wee kind of visceral, oh, yeah, I want to play Airdrie, which is, yeah, you don't tend to get a lot of that in Scottish football now, I don't think. You know, it's, I think because we play each other four times a year, it's all much of a butchiness, so... When you do, when you're not playing one of the sixteen Angus teams in the in the leagues, you end up you want to, you want an air and an airdrie or teams round about the kind of central belt. One thing I did kind of mean to add, what was I do? What's the kind of animosity between airdrie and air? Where did that kind of come from? So, so when airdrie went out of business, uh, a lot of it was to do with debt on the new stadium, and the new stadium had been built by Bar Construction. Bill Barr was a year, so he was getting ah, the name of a lot yeah. of it. I think the club hadn't covered themselves in glory. Uh, it's kind of, I think the re- the rivalry that Alan's mentioned, so whether it's Falkirk, Dunfermline, Morton, Partick Thistle, even it's more like provincial teams of about a level, uh, and so, so they're they're within that bracket. Um, the, these provincial directors, I mean, it was. So the guy who was chairman at the time owned a, a furniture company. Uh, the guy who'd been chairman previously and was still on the board was an accountant of a level, but not like a big four firm or anything. They'd undertaken this £6 million construction contract. Uh, they had a director who'd been a civil engineer, was going to progress meetings and stuff. He fell ill and Adrian were having progress meetings on a £6 million stadium build with nobody representing the club. So I think there was a kind of bit of resentment about Bill Barr was claiming it was owed money, whereas the word around the town was that, that, that they were at it. Um, but it didn't really matter in the end. Uh, we, we just, but we hold him in a large part responsible for why the club went went bust. So that that and that's the Air fans just jumped on it. So he's always been good for them. He'd always bankrolled them for years. Uh, yeah. So they, they were happy to uh, 
like wind us up about it. So, so that's and, and the last ever Airdrie game before liquidation, uh, last game of the season down there, Air scored. Airdrie fans invaded the park to protest, jumped and swung on the bar, and it snapped. Now, Somerset Park had the skinniest goalposts I've, I've ever seen. I think everything <laughs> now is universal, but it almost looked like kind of plumber's piping painted painted white. Uh, so. so the, the, apparently they could have put the things in, but there was the chance of other pitch invasions and stuff. So it kind of uh, the, the club ended down at the area as well. So there's always been a bit of animosity, um, but yeah, we will find reasons to follow it with, with most most clubs. Uh, so yeah, but so 2003, four, um, we'll come on to anything since then because I think it's old. We won the but the battle, but you've probably won the war in terms of since then. Uh, Adrian, a couple of seasons in the championship, but I've really toiled, which is why this week's game's massive for us. Uh, whereas you guys uh, have been a championship team, and at times looked like you might, might even push for the the playoffs and and had some some memorable cup results. So I guess there's not been too many games between us, even over the last ten years. Not really. I think we've 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 shared a division maybe once or twice. Um, yeah, I think it was like the likes of I think you'd Ricky Lamy and Mark Smith and guys like that at that time that obviously subsequently came and played for us. It's yeah, there's not there's not been a lot of games between us, but I think that almost keeps the rivalry going. I think we saturated our rivalry with St Mirren given, you know, for years we played them every every year. It would be the Saturday before the, the league started, you'd play them in the Renfrewshire Cup. And I actually think it it diminished the rivalry because you were just it it just felt, oh well, it's a it's a pre-season game. It doesn't really you've not had that. It's always that little yeah, I think when you're when you're overexposed to something and you're overexposed to a certain team it does, it kind of diminishes the, the kind of passion behind it. That's definitely not the case with Airdrie. So, yeah, it is. It's, it's a real shame that supporters won't be in because I think for two probably completely different sets of reasons, it's a massive game for both teams. It's a big chance for you guys to get back up into the championship and we're obviously clinging on for dear life at the moment. So, I think... 2003, 2004. So, I mean, that's my, my two key things with, with Morton are Capelo uh, as, as a ground and a, a venue, uh, someplace that I, I like to visit. And that's uh, it's not changed that much in, in all the time that I've been going to football um, and that season. I'm, I turned 37 this week and it, 32 years I've been going to Airdrie games and I've only seen us win a league once. Uh, but there was so much about that season. That uh, was that was really memorable. So the first day, we go down to uh, Capelo, and sunshine, and we go in. And I'm used to going to Capelo, and we used to always stand in the cow shed next to a segregation fence, which was always yeah. good fun. Either team scores, you're up bashing the fence or whatever. We're then in the wee Dublin end, which is it's very strange, Capelo, because it's a, a nice traditional ground, except the breeze block with like. Vinyl from off cuts from from double glazing windows or something that you've you've formed some seats for with this. But we go in there and the place is absolutely packed. I've never seen it before. Uh, and and Morton had kind of been off the radar because you bounced down the leagues and now come back up. Uh, and I remember you singing the 
if I had the wings of a sparrow and the whole place is just just rocking, uh, it'd take the lead in that game. But I think a Maizano uh, free kick pulls it back to one each, yeah. and then the linesman gets injured. Their on fall is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen at football, and all of us that are there will, will remember it. But uh, Cowboy McCormack walks towards the, the cow shed, gets to within about 15 yards of the, the touchline, and is pointing up into the terracing. All of a sudden, a guy bounds down with a mutton top on, jumps a hoarding, walks off, runs up the tunnel, and then two minutes later appears with a linesman's kit on uh, and runs the, the cow shed end. Uh, Morton scored to win 2-1. Uh, and Aye. I would say it was tight for offside. It probably wasn't, right? But but it's, it's on Chick Kavanagh's side to, to give the decision. And we lose 2-1. We've then got each other in the Challenge Cup on the Tuesday night. Yep. So we come back down we're in the wee Dublin end. It's the game at night, but it's that kind of time of year where it's not too dark or anything. Uh, in the cow shed, a whole load of Morton fans have managed to get linesman's flags and are singing away while waving them uh, and singing F all, we are going to win F all, which yeah. did, come, did come back to bite you. Uh, you're doing that night. And again, but it's two ding dong games to, to, to start the year. Middle of the campaign, you've said, I can't, 5 0, 6 1, you hammered us in Airdrie. Uh, and I think yeah. some, some words were exchanged between the players um, going up the tunnel and then. We made some very good signings around January. No, we don't turn around. Uh, and, and on the last day of the season, kind of torture for yourselves, you still had a chance of promotion. So the Morton yeah. fans still came up in, in massive numbers, which credit to them because uh, you'd been given little to, but you still had the hope. Uh, and we managed to win 2-0 that day and kind of put the icing on the only title win that, that, that I've seen. So it was an, an epic season that the battle with Morton was quite something but also just the talent in both squads at that point and the, the yeah. fan bases it feels like we're both fallen quite some way um, but, but you've said that you think um, for what's going on at Morton just now and for Airdrie fans there's a, a, a fan takeover should happen at the end of this season you think that the repercussions of that season despite a number of years in the Championship are, are still being felt I just wondered if you could expand on what is it that's that's still creating the, the bad feeling I think there's a there's a combination of there is still that pent up anger towards the Rays and how they dealt with it and through the through the podcast I've interviewed a couple of guys that were that were in the squad and I th- obviously news breaks and the the red tops and all this kind of hush hush there's there's these rumours coming and it's yeah there was just the club didn't as supporters we knew the club didn't handle it particularly well externally because we heard nothing there was no kind of statement through the media there was just it was kind of circle the you know circle the carts nothing gets in nothing gets out which I can understand you know when you think of Sir Alex Ferguson, he was excellent at that at Man U when the club were getting it tight from the media. You know, circle the wagons, you know, protect your own. But obviously it gets to kind of Christmas, New Year. Our gung-ho kind of, we're going to score more one more goal than you kind of starts to get found out. Guys, I remember John Mazzano starting to get marked very tightly. And that was your kind of, he was the kind of creative link in that team and got us 
out of jail quite a few times where the defend the defenders weren't brilliant, but it was just okay, we're maybe one down, get the ball into Mizano, he plays it on someone like Alex Williams and you've scored. It's it was fine. So it was a kind of combination of these rumours start circulating, guys are out injured, the yeah, it's the kind of wheels start to fall off in the midst of that. The players who up until then had been a really tight knit group and had all been out socialising. They were all kind of young lads about town, you know, out doing their own thing on a Saturday night and worked up and kind of living the life. That all of a sudden went to an alcohol ban and the players resented the manager for it. it then these rumours start. The chairman and the manager start pulling players into their office every day. I interviewed Peter Weatherson, who had signed with us that summer. And he'd been injured for the start of the campaign. And he said every day, probably for about a three-month spell between probably January and kind of March, April, he said every single day that I was in the club, either one out of the manager or the chairman would go, just tell us what you've done. It wasn't kind of, look, we want to support you through it. It was, listen, we know you've done something, just admit it. And that was, he kind of said that it just, it really ripped the heart out of that dressing room. In the midst of that, you've got supporters blind with fury because the season's collapsing around us and we're not getting any answers as to why why this is happening and what's happening with the betting scandal. And yeah, it kind of set the tone for the relationship between the club and the fan base because Morton have never been very good as a club with communicating with their fans. There's always been a kind of underlying contempt for the Morton support. That might be quite a strong term, but there was there was never that momentum and that unity that the club had built up since kind of Houston Hughes Scott in 2001. That completely evaporated. And then we spent so long trying to get out of the third tier. And by that point, supporters had kind of moved on. It, it did, it kind of set the tone. We managed to get up to the championship and yeah, it then the anger almost turned into apathy. So what you see now is a lot of guys have turned off completely. And guys that used to be season ticket holders that are now spending their Saturday afternoons driving taxis and things like that. And yeah, it's now the anger of 2003-04 is still there. But most of the time now it's been replaced with apathy. And it's only when kind of situations like this flare up where we're maybe facing relegation or things aren't going well on the park that the kind of, you know, the scab <laughs> the scab opens and all these everything from the everything from that season kind of opens up. I think it really rocked the club to its very core. And I don't think anything really happened since then to to kind of heal the wound. Sorry, that was probably more. No, no, that's a great answer. But that, so Douglas Ray, uh, I mean, I listened to the Price of Football, which is like a, a financial podcast on football. It's really good though. It's, it's done in a, a very entertaining way. And there's been a couple of questions in from Morton fans around Golden Casket and ownership of the stadium and and stuff that you've been having to go through. But what I had it in my head that Douglas Ray's legacy was quite good and it was only really when he's passed away and his son's not been interested in the football things have really started to be troublesome is that I'm off the mark there so is Douglas is not seen as a wholesale saviour and unquestionable by all I think there's 
there's probably a sizable amount of the support that would agree with that summation, to be honest. There's the kind of, there's the contrary side of that, where they took the club over and every single Morton fan, regardless of what your thoughts are as to what's happened to the club since, every single one of us owes a, a great amount of debt to Douglas Ray for stepping up when the club needed it. The kind of way that I described it, I think a few months ago on Twitter, was Douglas Ray took the club over, he put it on life support, but it was fine because he was the one holding the plug. And it was, listen, I'm a Morton man, nothing's going to happen to this club, you know, I'm holding this plug, we're, we're grand, absolutely no danger. And some fans liked that, some fans didn't. That, again, that's been a kind of recurring theme with supporters kind of being at each other's throats over the last kind of 20 years. But the club, just over the passage of time and with every with every season when there was less, you know, a, the gate reduces and just kind of less interest from the local community. There's just there was less and less buy-in and less and less kind of appeal to going and watching the club. And the frustrating thing for supporters was time and time again, people had offered help and kind of said, listen, our commercial stuff isn't very good. You know, I work in commerce, kind of volunteered and helped improve the club. And there was never a response. And that happened countless times. I think guys offered help with the website, with match the activities trying to have a little bit of an input to say, listen, we can do more as a club. And it just never really happened. So we're actually about, once this season eventually finishes, we're going to do a kind of mini-series on the Rays' legacy at Morton. And it is, there's, there is a case that we wouldn't we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Douglas Ray, and absolutely no one would dispute that. There is a slightly more nuanced argument as to what they've actually done with the club since. And yeah, it's just the club went stale in a lot of ways. Just kind of lower mid-table championship. There wasn't a lot happening. Never really any good cup runs. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, particularly when you guys like Jim McAnally in charge. It, yeah, it's just there's never been a... It's never been a particularly happy camp, I wouldn't say at any point, probably in the last 20 years. And... I think a a fair share of that blame has to to go on the on the Ray family. Alan, you could draw parallels with, with the kind of Ballantine era, uh, Airdrie. I was just thinking that to be honest, it was it's kind of very very similar that you know there is there's undoubtedly you know there, there there's uh, there's uh, thanks you know great thanks to be had to to anybody that that brings your club back from a pre- precipice, but the frustration that kicks in after that, you know, to save something only to starve it of oxygen, to, you know, to, to almost be ready to push it off a cliff, you know, you know, through for whatever reason. It's it's, it's kind of it's, it's very, very similar parallel, you have to say. Yeah. And I mean, you you joked at the start, but but for the Ballantine family and the Spears family uh, having the money to to buy Clyde Bank out of administration uh, mm. and, and change the name, then we wouldn't have had a football club. And that season that we're talking about is just two years post, very ambitious, probably spending more than, than what was coming in. But with directors prepared to put their hand in the pocket to do that, 
Uh, I think it was, oh, maybe they thought the growth was going to come. So the first game against Forfar, we've got two and a half thousand there. So you say, oh, yes, it's great. And then you have the title push and everything. But when the hard times come and the attendances drop, I think there's maybe a kind of feeling of unloved. And then the same, uh, John Ballantyne died. I don't think his son had, had quite the same love uh, love for it. And then it's like a, a, it's a managed decline we'd seen for, for a number of years. And that's probably good way to go into I wanted to just touch not on tactics or players or anything for this game but more what's the narrative of the season been and uh and for narrative arc of the club so we, we, where we both are what would it mean to to win the tie and be in the championship next year Alan of uh you, you've been having to sit there and listen to to the rest of us so so Airdrie so talk us through how's our season been from a football perspective for the modern fans that might listen and uh, what what would promotion to the championship mean for Airdrie or another foot? What's what's not getting promotion going to mean for for Airdrie under our uh, kind of new ownership, which has been there for two three seasons now? I was laughing when you when you when you said to me at the start. Now don't give any tactics away. <laughs> I, I wasn't even aware that there were tactics. To be brutally honest, it's it's been that it's been that kind of season. I think the biggest problem that, that Morton fans are, and Morton in general as a team are going to have is that, dare I say it, we're carrying loads of luck. You know, we are we are fighting hard now, which which always bears fruit. You know, we're, we are unfortunately quite limited in our tactics. It's it's There's a lot of kick and punch stuff. There's a lot of long throw stuff. You don't, it's not a state secret that we rely on set pieces quite, quite a lot as well. Um, but we've scored goals just at the right times, you know. We've we've teams when they've been on top of us have hit the post two or three times and have not carried their own luck. And I'm not trying to decry where we're at because you know the, the, the stats don't lie. We're, we're we're we've done better than than most. As I said at the start, though, it feels a little bit like a bonus because at, at no point I think have, have I felt that we've consistently consistently been playing good football. Even up until you know, there's been some spurious manager decisions in terms of team selections, rotations, um, substitutions, and whatever. Even to the point of, you know, we went into the game against Cove the other night and going round the the WhatsApp group, not one person thought we had picked our strongest eleven. You know, and we're we're sitting waiting for the the disaster to happen. But as I say, the the, the thing that's carrying us through at the moment is that the there's obviously belief in the team. There's also, you know, commitment within the team, and they keep plugging away. So, you know, that if it's coming down to the lucky setting ball, breaking two is in the box, it's falling our way at the moment. And I, I can't, I can't bet against this when that when that sort of stuff is happening. You know, because we could, you know, Saturday, Tuesday could be a, a ninety minutes back to the wall performance, but there's every thought that the ball is going to get hooked into the box. It's going to drop down. And Gallagher, who spent his whole day being caught offside and sclaffing things all over the place, is going to pounce like a cobra and and score the winning goal. So, you know, you just can't. You, you, I, I wouldn't call it at all. So, um, in, in terms of how what this kind of means to us, uh, you know, if if we if we don't go out, I mean, the obvious thing is it's it's another year in this bloody league, and this is one thing you're hopefully going to you know miss out on the. the well, no, hopefully not going to. Hopefully, I'm not going to miss out on it. But um, you know what I mean. It's 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 a it's a poor quality league. There's teams that don't inspire a great deal of you know excitement going to see. 
if for Airdrie, it's going to probably, I think a lot of folk are going to be right scunnered by another year in it. We're going to be down at 500 gates again. So you've got financial insecurity kicking around with that. There's also the possibility of not going up again next year because you look at then, well, there'll be an improved Falkirk, you would have thought. Cove Rangers will maybe throw a wee bit more money at it to, to go the final hurdle. Queen's Park are coming up with, you know, with bank-rolled funds as well. Edinburgh City could still come up as well. They've beaten us twice this year. So, you know, suddenly we could be facing, you know, another year of finishing fourth or fifth. And dare I say it, if the luck doesn't quite go our way, if, if the teams don't hit the post, if they score the goals, you know, we we could be looking at fifth, sixth, seventh in the league again. And I think that would that would just spell disaster for you know for everybody concerned. And I think I think that summarises it as, as well as I can. I think I think we could win, but ultimately, you know, we could we, we, we could struggle against a championship team that are, you know, that 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 have probably man for man get better players than us. I don't know how, how would you describe Dean the, the 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 way you play. Somebody was telling me that they were a wee bit kind of punt up the park type of stuff as well. The, the games that I saw, I thought they played the ball in the deck a few times, and albeit it was Montrose they were playing, but you know they, they, they created some chances. But would it be fair to say it was a little bit mundane percentage stuff? Yeah, there's still a very there is still a very big safety first aspect to this Morton team. I think given the sort of manager David Hopkins is and the sort of squad that he assembled, that was always going to be the way that we approach things. McPherson's came in, I think it's safe to say he hasn't really set the header alight, but yeah, we've we've started playing a little bit more through the thirds where we look a little bit more balanced. That kind of carries on the work of our interim manager, Anton McElhone, who was Hopkins' fitness coach and when Hopkins kind of spat his dummy out and, and walked, Anton stayed and, and took the team and actually he's at a better points per game return than any of our three managers this year. So it's a, a lot of credit has to go to McElhone. He got us through the toughest run of fixtures of the season and came out of it with the most points, which is excellent considering he's not a manager to trade. He's, he's a fitness coach. You know, it's not typically the role that you would expect someone to step into and be tactically astute. The What let us down really this year, both in the summer and Hopkins recruitment and in January, it, it has been recruitment. We spent the most, the club spent the most part in January kind of going, ah, we'll be fine. We were sitting kind of fourth or fifth. We kind of started, we had, we had a, run of, a run of games. We went 10 without a win. We panicked at the end of the window and we kind of made these panic signings. We brought Keziah Sterling in from, from Spurs. I think he made three or four appearances and he just wasn't at it. Justin Johnson, who I don't think's played us, maybe played about 10 minutes for the first team. And then he's he's been out of the picture. You know, Stephen McGinn's come in with a, a massive amount of pedigree and he was brilliant against Montrose um, in the second leg midweek but hasn't really impressed a great deal beyond that so yeah the recruitment hasn't been great we assembled a poor squad in the summer it was five defenders 
to cover us for the whole season. We've then graduated a, a young right back, Darren Hines. He's adapted really well and he's handled the jump very well to his credit. But yeah, recruitment's been our main kind of downfall this year. And as you'd expect, with a season in which you had three different managers, there are a lot of inconsistencies in this Morton team. Yeah, that and we, we struggle for goals. Sorry, I meant it, that was meant to be my headline there. Yeah, you, had a, you had a lot of draws towards the end of the season because I was, I was looking, hoping that you'd be getting tanked about the place, but maybe your last four or five league games were possibly all draws. Is that yeah, we right? drew with, yeah, we drew with Hearts, then Aloha, and then our broth. So, but yeah, we're defensively, we're okay. We don't give much away. That's maybe slipped in recent weeks, but. Yeah, we've we're the lowest lowest scorers in the championship this year. We've taken the lowest amount of shots, lowest shots on target. If you can't score goals, you can't win games. And I think we've seen with the amount of draws this year, that's really been the consequence of it that we have finished ninth. I think for all I could sit and really tear into the squad that Hawk can assembled, the kind of the flip side of that is we probably were one capable striker away from being comfortable and finishing, you know, 6th, 7th and not really having to worry about relegation. But the Championship being the way it has been it has been this year, it has been those fine margins and we've just not been able to put the ball in the net. Can I ask, Dean, are you, are, are you nervous about the circumstance that you're in at the moment or are you annoyed? Both, I think. After the Montrose game, sorry, after the Abroth game when it was confirmed that we were in the playoffs, we were due to record straight after full time and we kind of reached a decision that it was in no one's best interest to put a microphone in front of anyone that night. Um, just the the anger towards pretty much everyone at the club. Just the complacency and neglect at board level, the decisions that had been made in regards to recruitment and letting Hopkins assemble the squad that he did. The Anger, the anger has came in bursts this year. So obviously when Hopkin left, there was a big kind of push against that. And But by and large, it's I am worried because there's a lot riding on this. We've got a takeover. We've got, we're transitioning to fan ownership. That's going to be a million times easier in the second tier with the kind of commercial revenue that that draws in compared to being in the third tier. And whether that means we try and stick at full-time football, whether we try a hybrid model like guys like Airdrie and Wraith have had so much success with, or whether we go traditional part-time, there is a hell of a lot riding on it. And that's, yeah, it's... Once the anger subsides, you really start to feel concerned and quite nervous. Because and the fan takeover, in terms of what this means to, to the club, is that guaranteed to happen this summer? Uh, is the price impacted by what league, league you're in? Or... Uh, or are you being given the club for free but having to take on the debt? What's the, the impact of relegation on, on all of that? There doesn't appear, from the kind of outside looking in, there doesn't appear to be any tangible difference in the takeover deal. The club will take over the club debt free. There is grant money. There's kind of money in the coffers that, that we could use to either sustain full-time football or kind of do as we please with, whether it's ground maintenance, which is going to become a, a real issue, I think, in the next probably five to ten years. It's 
no secret that Capelo is a quite a dated football ground and it's going to take a lot of maintenance and upkeep to keep it safety compliant kind of moving forward. But yeah, relegation doesn't appear to have been factored into the to the negotiations and so yeah we we MCT take over a, a debt free club with ownership of the stadium with Golden Casket leaving the club they'll keep the car park which is behind um sorry behind the Sinclair Street end so it's an old kind of coal yard that that we use as a, a car park on match days. Golden Casket will retain ownership of that so it's a good deal in that fans were consulted a few months ago over the notion of Golden Casket keeping the stadium and renting it renting it to Morton, which didn't really wet the whistle for fans. I think fans wanted a lot better than that, and eventually that was what was agreed. So it is, it's it's a good deal that MCT have managed to secure, and absolutely credit to them for that. It's now up to the players and the management to make sure that we own a, a second tier football club next year. I think when you're trying to stabilise and trying to transition into fan ownership, you do need that. There's a big difference there between the commercial and the commercial income, the prize money, just everything that comes with playing in a full-time league. And that's kind of hanging in the balance now, which isn't a situation that any of us wanted to be in. Yeah, and Capolo, I meant to say, the 2003-04 season, that opening day, uh, one of my strongest memories ever watching football, you maybe not even have been in there with you, know, you come in at the corner and you walk up the kind of stony concrete, yeah. and there's like an outhouse toilet just as you come in, so I'm walking up past that and the surgery fans goes, like, you dirty bastards, you didn't have running water in the toilets, but you did have liquid soap, <laughs> so, <laughs> he's gone in and got himself all lathered up and then going to rinse it off. <laughs> and wasn't able to. Meanwhile, somebody else is going absolutely mental that his son's had a bottle of iron brew taken off him. And I, I, I think the Morton Shures are up there for being the most officious and, and having had to pay like £2 for a Capri son on a, a roasting hot day. So that was the, the welcome to Greenock. Uh, Alan, you've written a book all about away days and, and, and visiting football scenes. Capolo, what's, what's, what's it evoking for you? Capolo, uh, I, I was going to, th- I was thinking about lots of. Fabulous footballers and and big games and stuff like that, but I still kind of hear Morton and I think about the the pie stand. It's the big cup of Bovril. I, ca- I can't get beyond. I can't get beyond it. Is maybe Dean can tell us more about it, but it'll probably be before his his time as well. All those years of walking by, you go you go in the the, the gate behind the behind the PVC planks, effectively, and you're going up this wee hill. And forever, forever in a day is this big cup of Bovril that was never ever open. I don't, I never, I never saw it open. It was just sitting there, like like a prop from an amusement park, you know, like <laughs> beefy drinkland or something. I don't know where did, where did it come from, but um, aye, that that's the, that's the kind of one thing that always strikes me. And I just always, it was my ambition to buy something out of it if it was open, but it was never ever open. Um, obviously, the players. Going back to sort of my early memories, is going to be big Andy Ritchie. That's an obvious one. Um, and I was thinking about it today, and I went back and did a wee look on YouTube with the, the goal he scored against Aberdeen um, on the telly when he takes it on his chest and he flips it over his shoulder, takes it on the volley again, then toe pokes it with the outside of his boot, boot by the keeper. 
just 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 fantastic, you know. And in a day and age then that you know all the all the really good strikers were probably old firm esque, but I think it was it was Andy Rich, you know, like football writers, player of the year and stuff like that. You know, it was just a real a real talent. So, um, so that's a bit a strong memory for me. As as I've probably I've mentioned in in previous podcasts, I had, I had a bit of a unfortunate uh, link with Motherwell Football Club when I was a lot younger because my dad used to take me to see them every alternate week. So there was a wee while I noticed that there was players that I knew from the Motherwell days sort of uh, turning up at turning up at Morton. So I think Willie Pettigrew played for Morton. He was a hell of a player at Motherwell. He turned up at Morton. John Gagan, the the the, the super sub and uh, Super after dinner speaker. After dinner speaker. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he did a real turn at Morton as well. As did Ian Clinging was in him, I'd forgotten all about it. You know, he 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 was there as well. Um I think I remember desperate to sign Warren Hawk um back in the would it be the nineties? Would have been the, the sort of late nineties. And he went to Queen of the he went to Queen of the South instead. It was absolutely gutted with that. Um Peter Weatherson as well. I think that went the other way. Morton signed him, and I wanted to sign him for Airdrie as well. And uh, and and he was a good kind of stalwart with with Morton as well. Um, probably probably reverts more to the base stuff of fights outside the Norsemen. You know, you were always scooching your way along that that wee thin bit of pavement and the railing outside of the Norsemen. Try and ha- and you knew fine well that you were going to have a fight with somebody right there, and you get wedged <laughs> in amongst it all, and you'd get a something over your head and um, so that was that it was either that or you took your life in your hands trying to cross that big road and the, the dual carriageway and you'd get ran down so it was death on either side you, there was no escaping it um always raining that's another that's a given it was always raining wasn't it you know, that's why we never put a roof in the away end well i know it was like some kind of punishment it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't oh you, you can imagine that meeting will we put a roof on that Oh, it never rains here, does it? No, never, <laughs> bother, never bother with that. Um, just, Between Greenock just, and Hart just Hill, put some money on that. Wee, that put some money into that wee clock in the far corner, you know, the, behind the goals. That, that didn't seem to ever work either. There is something wonderful, though, when you're in the cow shed and the heavens open and you've got fans. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it sounds bad. It is tremendous. The, the you're looking end. at all the folk that are sitting out in the, sitting out in the planks. Oh, outstanding. Honestly, cannot beat it. <laughs> the terrace behind the goal at the opposite end, it's, it's open, isn't it? But they're just enough that they can always squeeze under the roof. Yeah, the Sinclair Street end, that's for the hardy among the, the Morton support. You tend to get guys that have stood there for 40, 50, 60 years and come rain, hail or shine, they will stay. The brawly goes up and that's about it, but... Yeah, they're always you kind of see a lot of people scurrying into into the cow shed whenever the, the rain comes on, but it's obviously not a not an option if you're an away fan. So right. I, th- I think the last time last time I was in the in, in the ground, we'd have been we would have been in the main stand, wouldn't we, Colin? Well, so I'm thinking recently there was a year that Morton were down and we actually had quite a good record against you, but we were we were all over the place, so we were mid table. And um, but there was a cup game down midweek where. Gary Mackay Stephen was at Airdrie for a short time and scored a cracking goal. And was it Jamie Stevenson, the midfielder that had been? Yeah. Uh, we also played at Morton. Yeah, played at Morton. It scored a free kick from about maybe from the Sinclair Street end. It was miles away, and he just just squeaked in under the keeper. So we went two 0 up, but it finished two each. 
and then the reverse game, you tanked us at, at, um, at our place. I mean, let's see if we can wrap up a bit. So, Capolo, Alan and I are off a similar mind. We would much rather go to an away day at a traditional ground. I guess with Airdrie, what promotion could mean is we start to make that big stadium with all the lovely corporate stuff in it make sense. And when you can then look to Hamilton and Livingston and dream that maybe you could get into the Premier League when Airdrie's stadium would be a, an asset for the first time since it was built. With Capolo, great experience to visit uh, in terms of as a, a football, a traditional football fan. You've mentioned there, but there's going to be upkeep just because of the age of it. And what, what would you like to see happen at Capolo? Because I, I imagine you want to keep the location, you want to keep the feel off it as much as possible, but then you probably need to modernise as well. So are there any plans or, or what would be possible? The difficulty is you're kind of, you're, you're boxed in on all sides. You've obviously, you've got the railway line tight behind the main stand. You've got Sinclair Street where, Sinclair Street's still open to traffic, but there's power cables that run along the side of Capolo that would kind of impede us trying to get in and kind of access the stadium that way. There's bollards outside the, the wee Dublin end, the, the away turnstiles. You've obviously got Arnold Clark there. It's it's going to be a, a big challenge and it would break my heart to say it, but I think at some point there's going to need to be a, a kind of a sensible conversation about it because there will come a point where an old wooden stand just doesn't meet the safety criteria. And they're expensive as well. I've heard, I've read about how much Aberdeen have to pay to keep Petordi, just to keep Petordi ticking over. So at some point you do need to kind of pull the trigger. I mean, could you build a more modern main stand that holds, I don't know, even two, three thousand and keep the rest of it the same? Is that is that possible? If someone, yeah, if someone could figure out how we get the materials in and how we get the construction machinery in, then hopefully, because I would I would hate to leave Capolo, but it is going to take a, it is going to be a massive and quite an expensive job to to bring the main stand and the rest of the stadium up to scratch because something else that we kind of talk when I was talking about the Rays legacy, there hasn't been any notable work done to Capolo for the last probably ten or fifteen years. It's just always been a kind of lick of paint and wipe the dust off the terraces every season. And when you look at the state the stadium's in now, that's not good enough. That The stadium really needed a lot of infrastructure and a lot of investment, and that hasn't happened. And when you look at, we're nearly £3 million in debt. Where's that money going? You think some of the, some of the transfer fees that we've paid down the years have been eye-watering? And you think, well... If we'd have, I know it's all ifs and buts. If you'd invested that money into Capolo, then we would have a, a far greater chance of being able to stay there long term. It's just as it it's fingers crossed that we never have to have that that kind of final conversation. I think I think you've absolutely got to throw everything at trying to retain the Capolo uh, location. It's the worst thing that ever, certainly for me, and I'm sure for most Airdrie fans. It's the worst thing that ever happened to Airdrie moving away from from Broomfield, and and we sometimes look. I think you look at it and think, you know, we've just we've had a laugh tonight a wee bit about the the planks along the behind the goals, but 
to a certain extent, they, 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 they looked at the rules and they satisfied the rules and it's not pretty, but the number of times I've thought, could, could they not just have ran uh, planks and benches and wee bucket seats along the old terrace at Broomfield, you know, and, and it wouldn't have cost that much to do. It wouldn't have been wonderful. It wouldn't have been comfortable greatly, but if it strictly speaking satisfied all the requirements that were necessary, we would have still been where we were. We'd have had our spiritual home, you know, it would have it would have had the character about it. And I know we're you know we're I know we're talking romantically about this, but it would have been a place that you know that was unique, that was different, that people wanted to come and uh, see football or and and other football teams didn't want to come and play at and all, yeah. all these all these things. It's we, we live in a very very sterile environment now. You know, with, with Scottish football, whether it's boxy stands or the same playing surface. You know, everybody's playing in artificial whatever. I'm 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 obviously getting old, but I, I even just harken back to wanting to play games on grass. You know, even if it's crap grass, even if it's frosty, even if it's got bobbles and. Uh, you know, and bear patches and stuff like that, it creates something different instead of these homogenised, you know, games that, you know, it's it's all just the same and it all looks the same and all feels the same and we're all just playing the same teams four times a season and, and you get them in the cup and it's six times a season and it just, you know, we, we, we want differentials here. We want, we want excitement. We want romance. We want, you know, and, and dare I say it, if it... If it's not the best of facilities and whatever, I'm happy with that. I, 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 I much pref- I, I, I much prefer it. We don't. I don't want to go and see Morton on the plastic pitch and the on the football stadium that looks kind of like Excelsior Stadium, which kind of looks a bit like Midermid Park, which you know looks a bit like eh, Clyde and Broadwood and St Martin and all, all sorts of stuff. So no, you've got you've got to push the kitchen sink at it and. And not take the and sometimes I think it's been for clubs it's been an easy option you know there's the the ground is sitting in a, a position that oh we could just sell it for a couple of million pounds someone will stick a supermarket on it or put some houses on it or or, or whatever and that will make our life so much easier having that x amount of money and all we need to do is negotiate a deal to to buy a wee boxy stand somewhere or other but you've lost so much you've got you've got it keep at it and, and, and keep our unique football grounds unique. Yeah, I think Capolo's probably the prime example now of the kind of rustic, old-style football grounds, kind of us and us in air down at Somerset Park, and there will inevitably come a point where... Oh, no, you can take you can take Somerset Park away. Don't worry about that. We'll do that. No worries yeah, about think, that. I think there's, there's, we'll, we'll try and finish on uh, later notes. So if you look at in Starts Park, in a lot of ways, it's a poor stadium. The fans, the big stands are behind the goals. You could you could say the same about East End Park, but they've, they've retained the location and they've still got their wee wooden L-shaped stand, albeit there's not that many people in it. So it's still got the feel, and I think people will like going along to where they always did. So even if you have to dispense with the breeze block and, and PVC ledges and, and put a, a stand in there and that's what lets you, you stay in a location, 
maybe that could work. Um, I think we can we can dispense with any platitudes about good luck or may the best team win. Uh, from our experience in the semi, we'll gladly take a goalkeeper dropping it on the 94th minute to to keep us in the game. Um, but I hope we all uh, can enjoy the game this week. Uh, and uh, well, what I would like to see with with Morton longer term than than this week is uh, that massive crowd that I saw in in 2003. I wish you. All the luck when the fans take over about getting the community back behind the game and let that be the, the hope that the support is still there within the town uh, and, and maybe just under fan ownership and getting everybody on the same page you can you can start to build again hopefully from our perspective in league one but uh wherever it is i i, I don't want to see football teams dwindling in support uh, and that season we spoke about uh, both our teams were on the up which hasn't happened for, for far too long so hopefully we can both prosper in the, in the coming years uh, and, and thanks very much for coming on Dean it's been been great having you Brilliant it's thoroughly enjoyable and yeah hopefully it's a, a Sean Crichton known goal <laughs> He has a Greenock he's a Greenock boy I know he's, he played for you for one season but he's He played for us when we won League One and that season he gave away 10 penalties so <laughs> I was going to say statistically that's entirely possible Dean so you know I might not be a bad bet. <laughs> but aye, that was uh, ten, 10 penalties, so he's going to have them. I hope you're listening, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Get some fire in your belly. Prove them wrong. Okay, thanks very much, guys. All right. Yeah. Pleasure. Oh, All the best. Oh,